Welcome to AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. My guest today is Olga Segura, a freelance writer from the Bronx who's currently working on a book about race, the Black Lives Matter movement, and the Catholic Church. Previously, Olga was an associate editor at America Magazine and the co-host of their podcast, Jesuitical. I wanted to ask her about two pieces she wrote that came out this summer. First, a piece for America about how the Catholic Church can work for racial justice. I know a lot of us Catholics, myself included, want to do something to help address the sin of racism, but we don't always know where to start. Olga has some great tips for us. Second, Olga wrote a profile of the theologian and Fordham University professor Father Brian Massingale, one of the leading voices on Black Catholicism. I wanted to find out what struck her most about Father Massingale's witness through the course of reporting her story. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts, and thanks for joining us. Well, Olga Segura, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for, for hopping on today. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for inviting me. I have It's been so consoling to just have conversations with other Catholics during this time. So thank you for inviting me. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, so maybe we could just start by you're sharing a little bit about your background and, and your work and what, what has brought you into to this, this work that you're doing now, again, uh, writing and researching and working on a book about racism in the Catholic Church. So yeah, just go ahead. Sure. So I um, was born in the Dominican Republic and my family moved here in the early 90s. And from the very first day that we arrived here, or my parents came here first and then I arrived a year later. But from the moment I arrived in this country, I have been in Catholic spaces. I went to Catholic school my whole life and I have just been internalizing a lot of the teachings that our faith has. Right. So like with the Sisters of Mercy in high school, they really instilled in me this sense of really being in community with the world around you and really kind of fighting for justice and what that looks like. And that was something that I didn't fully understand until I turned 30, right? And I'm like, oh, all of these wonderful Catholics who I've met my whole life have kind of prepared me for the work that I've been doing. Um, so then after Sisters of Mercy, I went to Jesuit to a Jesuit college, Fordham University in the Bronx, and then I started at America. And working in that very specific Catholic Jesuit space was really what kind of made me start thinking about how to use my own vocation to get our church to start talking about what it means to care about the African-American Catholic experience or the Latino experience and to really just use writing as a tool to demand that our church be better, right? And I think that I'm so grateful to have been in a very specifically Jesuit space because I think if I had entered the secular world after college, I don't think I would be the writer that I am today. And I think the Jesuits really taught me to push back against this idea that journalism has to be objective, right? That journalism, you have to be this detached party who's observing. And they really made me realize like, no, 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 what it means to be in solidarity with someone, right? What it means to sit with discomfort, what it means to kind of discern and do that introspection, like all of that informs the work that you do, right? So just my Catholic faith has shaped me entirely my whole life, but it was really the Jesuits who kind of well, not kind of, who really pushed me to engage with the church more fully from documents to whatever Pope Francis says, and just in my own writing to really just make people realize, hey, Catholicism can't be removed from justice, right? Catholicism, we have to use this to make the better the, our world a better place, especially in 2020, right? The world is falling apart and our church has the tools to keep us hopeful, but also to keep pushing, you know? 
Yeah, so you've been writing about this stuff for a long time, writing about racial justice, Catholicism, the, those intersections, ways that the church has maybe not lived up to its calling, and but also you know heroes in the church who have kind of kept this work in front of us and have led the way and invited others to join them. Uh, so again, kind of with that background, coming now to the past handful of months, right, where we've seen this kind of this stuff explode on the national stage. You know, it's been there for a long time, obviously, for years now, but like in a new way. And I saw some estimate that says like maybe more people have participated in demonstrations around this than like any other social movement like in, in the United States. Uh, what have been your, like, your reactions kind of kind of watching this unfold and participating in it? Honestly, my very first initial reaction <laughs> was just finally, right? Like, there are so many black and brown Catholics, indigenous Catholics, Asian Catholics, just non-white Catholics who have been grappling with this for years, right? Because we can't ignore what it means to be a person of color in the United States, even when we talk about our faith. So my first reaction was always, was, wow, I'm so happy that people have finally caught up to this movement and have caught up to what it means to be Catholic in the 21st century and be an activist. Um, but then more, more specifically, I've been really, really impressed by the bishops that I've seen marching, the Catholics, the lay Catholics, the clergy that I've, especially white Catholics and white clergy who have been saying, you know what, Black Lives Matter. And this is why. And here's how the gospel can help us. Right. And I was really impressed with the bishop from El Paso, who I think is the first example that I have seen from a white bishop to be like, hey, this movement matters, and here is why it's so inextricable from my faith. So on one hand, I'm so hopeful and I'm so encouraged by this. But then on the other hand, it's like, there's still so much work to do. And I think the bishops as a collective body are still moving very, very slowly. And I'm specifically, whenever I criticize leadership, I'm specifically talking about our white bishops, right? Because I think if you look at the history of our church, the very small percentage of African-American bishops that we have have always written on race, have always released individual statements. So while I'm hopeful on one hand, and I'm so encouraged by Catholics who have been calling each other out, who have been telling each other, hey, support this organization or support these activists on the front line. And I've been really hopeful about that. But I'm also like, hey, bishops, I need you to do more because I myself personally I'm constantly receiving messages from Catholics all around the country who don't know what to do, who don't know how to use their faith, who are so overwhelmed and they want to get involved, but they don't have any guidance, right? And I think that that is why I'm so vocal about getting bishops to be involved in this because people want leadership, right? We're a church that has men who are put in place to minister and oversee us. And I think that they need to step up to that. So it's a little bit of both. I'm, I'm super hopeful and positive because I see lay Catholics doing the work. But on the other hand, I'm like, bishops, I need you guys to step it up because it's been like hundreds of years of oppression in this country. And there's a lot of work that we have to do. Yeah, I think, again, you just see like the such a wide range. It's so hard to talk about like the church in a country like ours that's so spread out. And again, even each day you could see like some great examples of leadership, people again, really engaging with this in a sincere way. And then other kind of very quick defensive things that seem to be, uh, you know, kind of conflating issues or, or otherwise. But again, I think what I've been impressed with, with you is you're bringing your voice, your experience and articulating it very clearly for a wide audience about, hey, we like we have the tools within our tradition, as you said, like we, we don't have to go outside the Catholic tradition to find like really great resources, whether that's scripture or 
teachings and encyclicals or, again, some heroes from our faith. So even for you, kind of thinking as you've been writing, and we'll link to some of your recent stories kind of on, on these topics from the past few years, um, but like, what are some of the kind of the resources from within the, the Catholic tradition that you really draw on in your, in your own work and encourage others to, to learn more about? Yeah, so I think for me, I have found it really helpful to know that there's a tradition, a very rich Black American tradition that has existed in our church for years. And I think being able to have historians like Shannon D. Williams, right, who has been actively writing and researching the history of Black nuns in this country. And her research introduced me to something as simple as the church was very involved in chattel slavery in the 15th century. And that was something that, like many Americans, I thought, okay, 1619, this is where it all started. And she's reminding us, hey, no, this is the real history. These are people who have been doing the work. And just really pulling from women like her, Tia Noel Pratt, who just created the Black Catholic Syllabus, or M. Sean Copeland, who you just had on your podcast. Like These are women who, even before I graduated college, right, we're doing this work. People like the Reverend Brian Massingale, like there are people who have been in this church much longer and who have been doing this sort of push or not sort of, but who have been doing this work to get our church to be better. And honestly, if they didn't exist, I I would find it very hard to be not just write this book, but also be in this church because I would feel hopeless all the time. But I think just relying on the scholarship of especially Black Catholic women who throughout the whole book process, so many Black and Brown Catholic women have reached out to me and said, hey, here's something that would be helpful for you. Or here's an organizer in Catholic history that might influence the way that you write. And I think for me, I find myself returning to their work often because it informs me, but it also challenges me, right? And it shows me okay, you have to center these voices and you have to continue to center these voices because it's not about me, right? It's about the people whose stories I want to uplift. And I think that that is something that I wouldn't have learned if it wasn't for the Black Catholic women and men who have been doing this work before me. Yeah, I, I know when we've been talking about this, like in, in Catholic circles recently, like one thing I'm always reminded of is that like, as I continue my own kind of learning and reading some of those people you mentioned and kind of learning more about the history, it's like, it's a privilege for me as like a white guy to like be able to kind of learn about this from a kind of distanced view, right? Like this is not my life. Like I've, um, and, and I think like what we can heard from you know, from folks, it's like, that's a, that's a privilege to be able to, to learn about it. But I, I do think there are a lot of folks in the white Catholic community who are, who are well-meaning, you know, who, who are trying to do their best. And that's what I thought, like, I really liked your, your piece in America from, from uh, May, which is headlined, uh, how can Catholics help lead the fight against racism, which I think provided some like very kind of tangible, concrete, like, here are some things like if, hey, if you're like interested in learning and, and taking some action, here are a handful of long-term and short-term things. So maybe if you could walk us through that that piece and, and some of the things you think that, that Catholics, both lay folks and leaders can be can be doing, I mean, lay folks often are leaders, right? But so clergy and, and, and lay folks um, who might want to be doing something, but not sure where to start, what are, what are some of the, the suggestions you offer? Right. So in this piece, and just to kind of backtrack a little, I wrote this piece very much in the context of 2020, right? So we have seen the COVID pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, disproportionately affecting Blacks and Latinos across the country. And then on top of this, we are seeing an eruption of anti-racism protests all across the country. So trying to grapple with that on a personal level, I realized, okay, I'm angry and I need to be proactive. So let me help 
my church be a space, be a safe space for people like me. And here's how I can do this. Right. And like I mentioned earlier, there are so many people who have reached out to me and don't know where to start. Right. Because it's overwhelming. I get it. It's overwhelming. It was overwhelming for me when I graduated college in my early twenties. Right. So I think that I wanted to show Catholics that it's hard and it's uncomfortable, but you can start somewhere. Right. So I wanted to let them know that there are organizations, for example, if you don't feel comfortable marching, right. You can support activists who are online. You can look for organizations that are providing resources. You can look for Catholic organizations who are out there doing this work, right? And then I think, second, you could read a lot of the literature that people like you and I are mentioning right now. You can engage with the work of African-American Catholics and really sit with that and use that to inform the conversations that you might be having with your racist uncle or your racist aunt, you know? Because I think that in order to work toward a more liberated world and a more equitable world, we need to start locally. And often that starts with the family, right? So I'm always encouraging people to have those difficult conversations because I have to do it in my family as well, you know? And I think the third thing is that priests really have to talk about racism from the pulpit. We are a church that our church hierarchy is all men, right? And if we are going to exist in that church, then we need to demand that our leaders talk about these things, right? Because our pastors are people who are theologians, are people who are ethicists, are people who have been in this church for years. And I think that they need to talk about that. And I and I think a perfect example of what that should look like is Rob McCann, who I've been tweeting about this because I just learned about this uh, guy who worked at Catholic Charities and who released a very powerful video acknowledging his own bias and his own racism. And He's walked it back since then. But I think that was a wonderful example of the type of language that I want to see from my pastors on Sunday, right? I want white people to say, hey, here's how I have been privileged. Here's how I have been racist. Here's how I have been complicit. And then move on from that and then work. Because I think one of the things that prevents people from doing all of the steps that I just mentioned is that people are afraid and people are uncomfortable. And I think those are very valid things but those are not excuses. And I think that we have to start holding ourselves individually accountable so that we can more broadly force our church to be accountable. So I think those are just three short-term, very immediate ways that Catholics can begin to just do that work. So some of the, one of the the heroes uh, kind of in this work uh, you mentioned earlier, who you've written about, I'm curious to hear more about your perspective on him, Father Brian Massingale, who's a, a theologian, a black priest, uh, teaches at Fordham. Uh, you profiled him for The Revealer, which is a journal out of NYU, right, uh, on, on religion and media. And so earlier uh, this this season, you you had a, a long piece about him. So just how did that how did that piece come about? What did you what did you learn about him from spending so much time kind of re- with him and researching his work? Sure. So I have been in Catholic or was in a very Catholic media space for almost eight years. So Brian Massingale, he was the name who I have heard throughout my entire time at America. And I had read and listened to the talk he gave at the Ignatian Family Teaching a couple years ago. And then once I started my, was going to start my own book research, I sat with his book, Racial Justice and the Catholic Church. And that was the first book that really got me thinking about what it means to do this work, what it means to write about this work. So then I just wanted to profile him because I thought, okay, here's this amazing person who is this wonderful example of what it means to be prophetic and what it means to stay in this church. But a lot of people outside of Catholic spaces didn't really know who he was. 
Um, and I wanted to highlight his work because I want people to know that, yes, the church continues to fail when it comes to racial justice efforts. However, there are so many wonderful examples like Brian Massingale who show us what it's like to do that work. So I really got to, I spent about a month meeting with him and talking with him. And I was just so impressed, not only by his humility, but by the way that he can talk about faith and the way that he can challenge, particularly young minds who don't have, I don't have a theological degree. I don't know how to talk like a theologian, but sitting with him really made me think about questions that I had for our leaders, really made me think about scripture and really made me sort of actively begin to reimagine what our church could be, right? I think I spent a lot of time, especially since the bishops published their pastoral letter on racism in 2018, I spent a lot of time being really, really angry at them and saying, why am I going to stay in this church when these leaders just don't care? And one of the things that Massingale really helped me accept was, yes, you can push the bishops forward and you can challenge them, but the bishops are not the only people in the church, right? Who are the people that can serve as hope for us. And I think he helped me to really actively reconcile those two things where, yes, I can be critical, but also, hey, here are these wonderful people who are doing these work and here's what it means to do good work, right? Here's here's what it means to be a priest like Massingale and sit in a classroom and create a space where most, and I mentioned this in the article, these are mostly white students who are grappling with things that they should be grappling with, right? They sh- there should be these spaces. And that was one of the things that I was most impressed by out of the many amazing things that he that he has done and says, the fact that he could create that space, right? We, we're living in a time where people think that everyone gets canceled when in reality, there's no such thing. People do awful things and continue to be in power. We see it in our government all the time, right? So I think he really made me realize the church has a role to play at the local level, at the national level, just in our individual lives, the church has a role to play in helping people navigate what it is to struggle toward liberation, right? Because I think that's another thing. On top of doing all of the work that I mentioned in for your last question, we also have to understand that it doesn't just end with a book club, right? It doesn't just end with priests talking about racism at the pulpit, right? It's a struggle toward a world that we might never see. But as Catholics, we still have to fight for that. And I think that he really, really helped me understand that, that you are not fighting for justice for yourself, right? You're fighting for justice for generation, for people generations from now. You're fighting for a better world that you might never see, and that's okay, right? Like, that is okay. And I think that that's one, the biggest lesson that he taught me, and that was what I wanted people to understand about his work and the work of so many other brilliant black and brown Catholics like him, you know? Yeah, your piece uh, opens in the in the classroom, and I love that one quote you know, he has. He talks about how we're going to have these conversations, open, honest conversations about issues that no one in this room is skilled at talking about. And just being willing uh, to kind of go to that uncomfortable space that I think, again, how if you as you kind of watched him sort of do that, what were some of the were there like any skills he had or virtues, things that, like, oh, he approaches that in a way that like, because I can see that being like, 
extremely stressful. You know, like a few conversations I've had with folks who might disagree with me on some of these things, like I have not like sat in that tension very well. Like I am ready to get out of there and to disengage. What were things from either that he's modeled or in your own life, you try to practice, as you mentioned, having some of those tough conversations that can keep us going, even when these issues we're not great at talking about. And especially in these kind of mixed spaces, what, yeah, what do you, what did you learn from him? Yeah. yeah I will say I, I, for full context, I was in his classroom toward the end of the semester, right before they were breaking for the holidays. So just want to throw that little caveat in there. So he had already, by the time I walked in there, it was very clear that he had already established this intimacy and this relationship with his students, right? He had already committed to encountering these people, not just as white students who might say problematic things, right? He said, I am a pastor. How am I going to pastor these students, right? So when I saw him in that space, he was just authentically himself. He was just himself and he talked about questions that he had, right? He had, he talked about things he was struggling with, things he was grappling with. And that I think helped to create a space where you think, oh, okay, if someone as brilliant as Massingale, this theologian who's been in this church, who's been an ordained priest since the 80s, if he's grappling with these things, then it's okay if I'm grappling with it too, right? So I think he created a space where he encountered them and he also gave them permission as a pastor, as an authority figure to say, hey, let's talk about this. I'm not going to tweet about it. I'm not going to run and tell someone we are just in this safe space where we are going to have these conversations. And I was completely impressed. I had never seen a space where white kids in their 20s, and again, these are graduate students who have been, who are also themselves very smart theological thinkers, but that was the first time that I saw people that age group actually talking about racial justice or actually talking about things like Black love, talking about bell hooks, talking about the ways in which the church has oppressed Black people. And that was something that was so encouraging for me to see that he created a space, but placed the onus on the white students to do that work, but never made them feel, he never undermined them. And I think I was so impressed by that because even myself, I'm very, very snarky. I can be very, very angry, especially on Twitter, because I get I give into the adrenaline of the likes and the retweets and people saying, Oh my God, Olga, that was really, really funny. So to see that in his, to see that he created a space where he was like, no, 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 no. It's not about snarkiness, right? It's about creating kinship. It's about creating solidarity, right? All of these wonderful Ignatian things that I picked up at America. He is creating that space. And I think it really challenged me to say, okay, yes, you can be snarky and you can be critical, but also, how can you create these spaces in your own life and in your own community? Yeah, no, and, and that's hard work. I think work of up to our parishes and other, you know, groups of people, like, are we working really hard to, to kind of make make those spaces? Uh, and I just think of like the the quote, I think, you know, MLK quote, just about like the 11 o'clock hour on Sundays being like the most segregated hour in, in America. And, and, you know, th- that being true, I think in a lot of ways is, is hard. It's often we kind of live in these kind of very separate worlds and and don't have that that chance for interaction and so the fact that he's been able to kind of carve out those spaces are uh yeah impressive and inspiring i think for us um so i, I want to ask you about about your book i'm sure father massingale will appear uh in your book so can you tell us a little bit about like kind of 
what it's called, what you're working on, uh, and then we can kind of talk about some of the stuff uh, yeah, that you're focused on right now. Sure. So the book is called The Birth of the Movement, Black Lives Matter and the Catholic Church, and it will be published by Orbis Books in February or March of 2021. I'm new to this, so I, a lot of the details, I'm kind of still, um, I should probably confirm all of this. But the, the idea for this book came out of an article that I did for America back in 2019, where I sat with Alicia Garza, who is one of the founders of the movement, and sat with Black Catholics and church leaders and tried to create a more comprehensive picture about the Black Lives Matter movement and about the church's work toward racial justice. Because I think one of the things I've encountered in the years that I've been reporting on this movement is that a lot of Catholics and just Americans more broadly don't really understand what this movement is. I think people see a headline and assume that Black Lives Matter is pushing in a pro-abortion agenda or Black Lives Matter is promoting violence against law enforcement. And that's wrong, right? Because a quick search on their Black Lives Matter page and their mission statement, they are very clear about being peaceful, wanting solidarity, wanting Black liberation, and by extension, liberation for all people. So I'm really committed to kind to expressing to people two things. One, here's what the movement actually is, right? Here are all the misconceptions that you have had about this movement, and here's what it actually is. Second, I really want to center the work of the founders, because I think they are doing, in the way that our church is failing at evangelizing, these women have galvanized an entire generation of young people and have gotten people talking about what it means to do anti-capitalist work, what it means to dismantle systemic oppression in every institution. And I think that I want people to understand that when we're t when we are comparing people to Christ and we are talking about people who show us how to live out the gospel, these three women are prime examples of that. And I think that I want to set that up in contrast to our all male, <laughs> predominantly white leadership and show, hey, yes, we might never ordain women, but here are some other ways where you could center women and center their work. And I want my book to help Catholics understand why their work is so crucial, but also understand that I also want the ch our church to understand that we need to be on the right side of history because in a hundred years from now, or however many, however many years in the future, when we look back on this, people are going to ask themselves, where was the church? Where were our leaders? And these are questions that I have gotten just in these six or seven years that I've been reporting on this. I really want to push our church to more actively embrace this movement and embrace the work that these people are doing because it's just, I say this all the time, but it is so Christ-like. It is there's so much overlap between Catholic social teaching. There's so much overlap with Ignatian spirituality. So for people to disregard this movement as antithetical to everything that Christians hold dear is so wrong. And I want this book to show that. And I want people to understand that the reason I have such, such a sort of, or not sort of, the reason I have such liberatory politics, if that's the word for it, the reason why I center my faith in liberation is because this movement taught me how to do that. And I want Catholics to understand. I want Catholics to see that. And that's what I hope this book does for whoever reads it, you know? Sure. I know that in some of the talk around Black Lives Matter, 
in Catholic spaces, there it's a big like an umbrella term, right? So like when you're thinking about it and researching it, there is an organization or a series of organizations, you know, that have like a legal standing and do fundraising uh, and do organizing. But there's also like this movement that transcends like any one like 501c3. It's like, wh- what have you learned about like kind of how it how it looks as a, a movement? Again, both like some structure, but like very diffuse uh, and not really like it can't just like, you know, pin it down to just like this one group of people. Right, right. So I think the number one thing that I've realized, and it's taken me writing this book to fully understand, is anytime we think about what it means to be an organization, anytime we think about what it means to be an institution in America, it's always framed by capitalism. It's always framed by racial capitalism because it is an economic system that has existed since this country was born. And that affects the way, what we expect from organizations. So what I mean by that is we look at the church, right? For example, and we say, okay, there are leaders at the top. There's an organization, there's a structure. And when we look at the Black Lives Matter movement, they focus on a decentralized organization. They focus on uplifting a community instead of the individual. And I think that's one of the things that people find so difficult. They're like, well, how can you, how can you be organized and how can you actually be fighting for justice if you are disorganized and there is no rhyme or reason to what you do? Again, that's absolutely wrong because you can just go to their website and it's, it centers black women. It centers black trans women. It centers it emphasizes solidarity. It emphasizes justice. And it says, okay, here we are an organization that's going to give you the tools. We're creating a community, but we're not an institution, right? Because we're trying to dismantle capitalism. So we are not going to embrace the structures that our capitalist society tells us that we need to embrace, right? Because I think they push back on this idea that professionalism has to be, or that you have to perform any kind of vocation in a very specific professional way. And you don't, you don't like they give us that they have given people the tools to build locally, to go to their homes, to go to their cities and to start doing the work within their own families, within their own states, within their communities, whatever it might be. And I think this is something that is so important. And I think that that's why so many Catholics are like, the movement is not, is unorganized. And I'm like, it's not, these are three women who have over 20 years of organizing experience. These aren't you know, this isn't just me who hopped on Twitter and said, hey, I'm starting this movement and it there's nothing behind it. Like they bring years of experience and they're really, really trying to push back against this idea that power has to exist in the hands of one person or one organization. Instead, they promote this idea that we should all have power and we should all as a community, as a collective work to make the world a better place. And again, super Christ-like. <laughs> like, that is literally what I, at least what I think my faith is calling me to be, right? Like push back against this idea, the temptations of, to pull, to quote Angela Davis, right? She talks about the temptations of neoliberalism and how we're so committed to being like, well, who's at the top or who's the VP or who's running this? And it's like, it's about community. And that's what I love about it. It's a movement that promotes community promotes what the church is also promoting, but is doing it better, you know? I've heard a couple of talks by uh, Bishop Edward Braxton, uh, as black bishop had most recently been in Belleville, Illinois, who written about kind of meeting with dozens of uh, Black Lives Matter leaders in conversations and kind of seeing, oh, like there's the church 
isn't it doesn't have the same kind of organizing role at the center the way it might have uh, through parts of the civil rights movement of you know say the fifties and sixties in particular. So again, as you approaching this from a faith perspective, and as you're talking with activists saying, "Oh, I'm coming out of a not just a faith Christian perspective, but a Catholic one." How are you uh, received uh, in that context? You feel like Catholics like uh, are are welcomed there, despite it not again being like an official Catholic thing. Oh. You mean like are Catholics welcomed into the movement? Or do when people when people hear if you're talking with them that you're kind of coming out of a Catholic place and writing from that perspective, are people surprised? Is it a, what kind of a reaction do you get? People honestly, people secular people are not surprised. Even when I talked to Alicia Garza in 2008, she was not surprised. She says, you know what? Yes, welcome. There is a role for the church to play, right? Like activists are saying we want Christians in this. We want you guys to bring the, your tools. We want you guys to bring the resources because we know our church has a lot of money, right? Like they are welcome in this space. And this is something that has been confirmed to me from the founders themselves, you know? But the criticisms that I face are always from Catholics. It's always from Catholics. It's always from leaders. It's always from people in Catholic spaces who are asking me, how dare you promote this movement? How dare you encourage the church to adopt the policies of Black women, right? Because this was something I've encountered even in my culture reporting when I wrote a piece for America on what Beyonce and Pope Francis can teach us about love and family. I've never gotten so much hate mail as I did with that piece because people in our church specifically cannot understand why you would push against this white patriarchal supremacist culture within our church and actively promote a movement that centers black women. So throughout almost eight years of doing this, the activists, the organizers, the secular activists and organizers that I encounter are always saying, hey, we want more leaders. And this was back in 2018. This was one of the founders literally telling me like, hey, if the church wants to get involved, the church can get involved, but they have to do the work, right? Whereas on the flip side, I've gotten so many leaders who are just like, this is blasphemous or you shouldn't be doing this because the Black Lives Matter movement believes in abortion. And I'm like, where? Like, the, <laughs> there are so many times that the church engages with people where their politics are very problematic and really contrary to our pro-life stance. So that's always, that's a really good question because the criticism and all of the negative comments I tend to get off from the Catholic spaces, not so much the organizer spaces. It's always interesting to see how church, you know, both capital C and lower C church, I think a lot of us, even as lay folks formed by this, when things are not being run by us, how well we do playing with others. It's hard. You know, I again, we've created our own, our own world, you know, especially again, I think about like say mid-century America where you had the, you could have a whole Catholic world, never really leave that bubble. And like, that's just not the reality anymore. So learning about how to cooperate with others when we're not the ones like driving the ship will be like an interesting thing for Catholics to have to wrestle with. Right. Because it's um, like I said earlier, there, there has to be a shedding of power that happens in this struggle. And as particularly from our white church bishops and I, or, and other white priests in the, in the church and other, other white Catholics in the church. And I think that's one of the hardest things that no one wants to fully address. Right. It's not, yes. It's also the fact that this movement centers black women that, look nothing like our leadership. But I think there's also this deep understanding that in order for them to truly embrace this 
fight for liberation, to truly build a more equitable church, requires them to give up power. And people don't want to talk about that because it makes them uncomfortable, you know? And like you said, what people don't see themselves when especially white men in our church do not see themselves at the center of something, they immediately think that, oh, then this is not going to be successful. Because if we're not running it, no one else has the experience. And I'm here to say, actually, there are people who could do this work better than you. And this is why you should listen to them. I love talking uh, with folks uh, who are in the middle of books, like writing books, because I think your passion is there, even if I'm sure it's at this point, it feels like a slog at some days, uh, kind of pulling this together for its release. But I just really appreciate your your passion and zeal and energy around this. And I'm curious, kind of in this process, again, is going into it, having, again, written about and studied and been part of the movement for a long time. Like what are there things that you're working on now or things that you've learned kind of recently, things that have surprised you when you entered a process like this, it's a discovery, right? Like you don't necessarily know exactly what will end up on the pages. What, what has been like a, an interesting surprise maybe in like recent parts of uh, your writing or research? Yeah, sure. Um, honestly, what has been most surprising for me, and this touches on what I've been talking about this whole conversation is Really, I've always understood that American history and church history is very whitewash, but I didn't fully understand how deep it was until I started writing this book. So, for example, throughout my entire time at American Media, and even in college, you would hear the name John LaFarge being hailed as this social justice champion of the 20th century. And then I sat with Massingale's text, Racial Justice in the Catholic Church, And he talks about how there were efforts in the early 20th century by black Catholics to start to start these organizations. And they were doing the work and coming up with these pastoral plans and coming up with these very concrete action items that were based in their own experiences as black Catholics. You know, this is the early 20th century. So we are still dealing with the immediate aftermath of like the reconstruction era and Jim Crow. So these are Catholics that are being informed by the reality that they are living in this country and said, okay, here's what we want from our church. And when I sat with Massingale's text, I realized that Lafarge was very strongly opposed to their work and said, and I'm paraphrasing, while a black woman or man might have been oppressed in this country and understands that oppression they might not be the best people to determine what they want and what they need. And reading that, I'm like, oh my God, here's this white man who everyone is glorifying who would have said something so awful to people who were doing the work, to people who have been ignored by our church. And I think having to actively unlearn so much of the church's history that I had internalized and believed that it was true because I was hearing this from people from sources that people I respected and loved were suggesting. And that's just been the most surprising thing, just constantly having to unlearn how whitewashed our church is and how whitewashed our history is. Um, And there's so many other examples like that, but I won't quote unquote, spoil my own book. I'll just everyone to buy it. Um, But that was definitely the most surprising thing. I was like, oh my God, this thing that I knew completely like left out this pretty major part in this man's history and just sitting with that as a Catholic also having to be like, okay, now I have to relearn everything that my church has told me because I'm learning as an adult that so much of it is revised and so much of it is whitewashed. So that's definitely the most interesting and shocking thing that has happened throughout this process. 
Well, Olga Segura, thanks so much for that work and your continuing writing. We'll be excited to share news of the publication date next spring sometime. Uh, and again, thanks for the the articles, the continuing to keep these these questions and um, important you know things to wrestle with in, in front of Catholic audiences. I just think such a vital uh, work that you're doing. So thank you for that and for taking the time to, to kind of talk about some of these things today. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, inviting me and for letting me rant about anti-capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care. You too. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Dara Sump, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Mike Jordan-Lasky. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs> <laughs>